Thank you, Miss Nancy. Always enjoy your children's sermons. Um, You've heard the text today read. It's uh, Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 through 28. And uh, the title of the sermon today is Overcoming Bad Beginnings. Overcoming Bad Beginnings. I've been looking forward to this past week for a long time. And no, it's not because I finally got to sell my condo and move out. Uh, Coincidentally, I'm staying with Drew Shelley. He's the pastor of First Methodist Church here in Murfreesboro. I'm hoping it's going to improve my preaching to just be in the same house with him for a month. But uh, no, what I was really looking forward to this past week is because a lot of the sports were resuming. And so uh, if you like baseball, you've been able to watch. We even got extra innings in the Braves game yesterday and, and they won. But unfortunately, this past week, uh, one of uh, a football team that I follow, you might be familiar with them, but one of our players was arrested, and it was a despicable crime, if, if it's true, uh, and um, I, it just brings to mind uh, his recruitment from several years ago, and I remember reading his story, and he just came from an awful situation in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, he's seen or been a part of um, someone in his family, two or three different people shot dead. And, and so as I was thinking about him being arrested this past weekend, uh, one of those things that I was taught growing up is that you, you just can't outrun your past. And, and there's a sense in which for many people that tends to be true. That you are raised in such despicable situations and circumstances that it's just really kind of hard to um, overcome that as you get older. And yet in our scripture lesson today, there does seem to be evidence that you can overcome a bad beginning. That despite what has happened to you in life, uh, something good can come. God's will can be done in your life and, and you can be, go on to uh, do and achieve greatness despite the circumstances in which you were raised. And, and so that would be my prayer for this football player that was arrested and, you know, it happened to be my team this week, could be your team next week. Uh, but we all hope that regardless of the circumstances that these uh, that folks are raised in, that they might be able to overcome those bad beginnings uh, for something good. In our scripture lesson today, Jacob has arrived in Padan, Iran. He has uh, running from something. You might remember that he's tricked or deceived his older brother out of his birthright just for a bowl of stew. And then later in life, when his father is getting ready to die, his father wants to give a blessing to his older, uh, Jacob's older brother Esau. And, and Jacob deceives his father and, and even passes himself off as his older brother Esau. So that now not only does he have the birthright, but he has the blessing. And you can, uh, not surprised, I'm guessing, that Esau was a little upset about that. And decided that he was going to try to kill his younger brother Jacob. Uh, Jacob obviously doesn't want to die. And so Jacob's mother suggests that he run. And that he run and visit her brother Laban, Jacob's uncle Laban. 
And so that's where Jacob is on his way to today. We're told that as he arrives in this part of the country that, that he was, saw a group of, of shepherds waiting at the water well. Now you remember Jacob was more than likely a shepherd. And so this would have been his kind of people. And so he would have naturally been gravitated towards this group of people that were gathered around the well. Uh, he found out when he went up to the well that they were waiting for all of the shepherds to come to the well, at which point they would open up the well so that uh, everyone could feed their sheep. Water was scarce in those days and distrust was high during those days. And so it was the custom in this particular community that they would wait for everybody to get to the well before they would open it. That way everybody could see how much water everybody was getting. It had a big stone on top of the water well. This was a stone that was so large it typically would take a lot of people to move the stone. And this was in part to keep animals out of the water. It was in part to keep contamination of the water down. But make no mistake about it, the stone being so big was also to dissuade people from trying to sneak up there by themselves and get more water for their sheep while the other folks weren't around and so that's the situation that Jacob finds as he shows up at this well they are waiting for everybody to get there so that they can feed uh, water their sheep well um, while they're waiting we're told in the text that Rachel comes Rachel has her own father's sheep and she's coming there to be a part of the watering and when Jacob sees Rachel, he decides that he can no longer wait. Uh, I guess you could say Jacob first kissed his biceps and then he kissed the girl because Jacob, which would have typically taken a lot of people to move that stone single-handedly, moves the stone out of the way and then he ends up kissing uh, Rachel. He tells her that, he, that they're actually related and, and, and she gets so excited about meeting Jacob that she runs back home to her, her father and said, I just kissed my cousin. I mean, I don't know if that's what she said, but that's what she did. You know, uh, Jacob was her cousin. And, and so she had kissed him. And so she goes back home and, and she tells her father, Jacob's uncle, that Jacob is here. And, and so then uh, Laban runs back to the well and, and Laban is excited about seeing uh, Jacob there. Why do you think he's excited? I mean, he might be excited because you remember Jacob's father, Isaac, actually is married to Laban's sister. And how that all happened was, is that Abraham, way back years ago, had sent a servant back to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And when that servant came looking for Isaac's wife, that servant had all sorts of expensive gifts and, and a hefty bride price to pay for this bride. And so maybe Laban is thinking that Jacob is coming back and that Jacob might marry somebody in his family. And that he, like his uh, father, uh, grandfather Abraham, would have all these gifts available. But when he gets there, Jacob doesn't have any expensive gifts 
He doesn't have an entourage that's bringing all of these gifts. It's because Jacob had to leave rather hurriedly, and he's running for his life. And you got a lot of people traveling with you. Man, that'll slow you down when you're running for your life. And so Jacob doesn't have any of those things. And, and so maybe that's why Laban was so excited to see Jacob. Or maybe he just hadn't heard from his sister, Rebecca, in a long, long time. And he didn't know anything about what was going on in their family. And, and so maybe he's excited because he's finally going to be able to catch up. How are things going with Rebecca? What's happening for them uh, over where they live? Well, we're told... That Jacob is smitten with Rachel. He loves Rachel. And, and he wants to marry Rachel. And he agrees to work for Rachel. Seven years for Laban. Uh, to have the opportunity to marry Rachel. Now this would have been a long time. Uh, and this would have been a hefty price to pay for a marriage. In those days, the average wage for a year was 30 to 40 shekels. And so this would have been an unusually high price to pay for 30 to 40 shekels to marry somebody. And so you got 10 shekels a year, I'm sorry. And so it would have been about twice what it would have typically paid in order to marry this, this woman. But he loves Rachel, and so he's willing to do it. Now, after the seven years of working for them, there, this is like a contract that they would have had together. Then came the actual wedding. It would have been a great feast. Uh, there probably would have been a little bit of drinking at the feast. So there's a really good chance that uh, Jacob was rather pale <laughs> And uh, the woman that he went to bed with that night was rather veiled. And so when you got a paled man and a veiled woman, strange things can happen. And so the next morning, Jacob wakes up thinking that he is finally with his beloved Rachel, only to find out that it is Leah. The trickster, the one who tricked his own brother out of a birthright and deceived his own father into giving him a blessing that was meant for Esau, has himself been tricked. And he doesn't like being on the other side of the coin. And so he goes to Laban and he says to Laban, what in the world have you done? I agreed to work seven years for Rachel and yet you gave me Leah. And Laban says, well, in our country, we don't let the younger get ahead of the older. It's as if Laban is saying, maybe in your country, you can step ahead of your older brother and get what you want. But that's not the way things work around here. Maybe Laban was teaching uh, Jacob a lesson. But Jacob does get Rachel. You see, Laban was willing to allow, uh, if he would wait a week and, and go through the wedding week with Leah, uh, he would allow him to marry Rachel right away if Jacob would work seven more years for Rachel. 
And we're told that he did that, that he would gladly wait for uh, Rachel's hand, that he loved her. And it was just like a fleeting moment of time in order to finally be able to marry Rachel. Well, I hope you picked up in that scripture lesson that not only did he pick up two wives here, Rachel and Leah, but he also got their two slave girls, their two servants, their two maids. Um, that's the way the times worked back in those days. If you married a woman and she had a maid or a servant, then uh, those maids or servants became, in essence, your wives as well. So now he's got four wives. And we're not told how he felt about the two maid girls, but we are told how he felt about Rachel and Leah. We're told that he loved Rachel a lot more than he loved Leah. Now, who can blame him? Leah is not the one that he wanted to marry. Rachel was the one that he wanted to marry. That's the woman that he had fallen in love with. That's the woman that he had agreed to work seven years for. No wonder he likes her more than Leah. And then there's this other thing that's happening in the text where we're told that um, Leah had beautiful eyes while Rachel was beautiful, wonderful, grace-filled. I'm wondering, is that beautiful eyes comment the equivalent of what we might say today? Well, he has a nice personality. Maybe Leah just wasn't as physically attractive. And so, yes, on the one hand, he wanted Rachel. That's the woman that he fell in love with. Maybe the second thing was, is he woke up that morning with, after being with Leah and said, yeah, you know, I don't know. But, but he worked. He worked for the both women. So here we have this tension that's already building in this family. This lack of love. Uh, Leah feels unloved by Jacob as she believes that Jacob loves Rachel more. And, and we've been told that that's true in the text. So we have these two warring sisters, one of whom feels unloved. We've got these two slave girls that have no voice or no choice whatsoever in what has happened here. We have a husband who has a shady past. He's duped his own family on at least two different occasions. And we have an uncle and a father who seems to be a lot like Jacob and is willing to deceive and to dupe for his own personal gain, uh, getting more money, uh, more service out of the husband. And then he also gets both of his girls married off at the same time. It's not a great family. It's not a family that's going to win family of the year award. And yet. Don't forget. That out of this dysfunctional family. Comes the eventual 12 tribes of Israel. Every one of the 12 children that Jacob fathers with these four women become uh, the originators of the 12 different tribes of the people called Israel. And don't forget, 
out of one of those tribes, out of the Judah's tribe, comes our Messiah, Jesus. So out of the mess becomes or comes the Messiah. I thought a lot about it this week. I really don't know what the point of telling this story was in Scripture, much like I struggled to find the point of last week's Scripture. I, I love these stories in Genesis because they let us know that these were real people with real problems and real struggles just like us. But I'm wondering if the point that we are supposed to take from this Scripture is that lots of people are raised in problematic situations. Lots of people are born into dysfunctional environments. And, and while it is true that you could allow those environments and those circumstances to dictate the trajectory of your life, and, and you could be um, uh, like... Um, uh, this football player may have been and you were raised in an environment and now you may have committed a crime because you saw so many of those kinds of things happening in your environment. But this is a story that good things can come out of bad beginnings. This is a story about how no matter what you have done in your life, God can still use you to achieve God's will, to do God's desires throughout the world. And I think that's a message that we ought to be willing to hear and that we need to hear over and over and over again. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You don't have to have come from a perfect family for God to use you. You don't have to have been born with a silver spoon in your mouth in order for good things to happen to you. You can just allow God to work in and through you. And you may not be able to outrun your past, but you can change your present and your future. And most of the time that begins with God's help of saying, I want something better than what I've had. God, will you help me to live into that?